Let's go to um, Isaiah chapter 9, if you have a Bible nearby. We find a very famous um, and frequently used passage in relation to Advent. And this is going to be home base for us for the, uh, the, rest of the, the rest of Advent. We're going to take, uh, we're going to take verse 6 here in chapter 9. And over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to take each one of those uh, very well-known descriptions of Jesus. We're going to unpack uh, one of those each week. And a uh, part of each week is I'll give a little more, a little more background and stuff like that behind the, the whole text. And so there's so much that I want to you know, cover tonight that I just kind of want to get right to verse 6. And uh, so just know the next couple of weeks we'll cover a lot of the, the history and why this is significant and how that fits in and stuff like that. But look at, at verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So the next four weeks, those four, uh, four titles or four descriptions of Jesus, we'll do one each week. So that would mean that tonight would be Wonderful Counselor. And before we get to that, I want to I kind of bring into focus something that you're going to hear me say every, just throughout, the, throughout this season. Is that when you look at, at the beginning of verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Um, I want us to emphasize together corporately on Sunday nights during this season the fact that Jesus is a gift. And that might sound obvious. You know, Jesus is a gift. But I would really like for us to, to spend this season kind of meditating on that a little bit and, and being challenged to not just assume that we get that. You know, to us a son is born, to us a son is given. That Jesus is a gift to us. And, and so I, I feel like... Each week that we're together over the five Sundays of Advent, we'll kind of dig a little bit deeper into these things. But, but let me just encourage you, between, maybe between this week and next week, to think more and more and more about what that means. And, and here's, here's why, like the, the angle that I want to kind of present it as, see, a gift, like you don't, you don't earn a gift. If, if somebody gives you something and it is something that you have earned, that's not a gift, it's a reward, you know. And so your boss doesn't give you a paycheck as a gift because he's nice and cool and wants you to like him. No, it's a reward for the work that you've done. It's, there's an obligation there. You've, you've earned that. You worked 40 hours this week, so here's your giant paycheck or whatever. You know, uh, that's, that's earning. And so if someone gives you a gift at Christmas time, hopefully it's not because you've earned that gift. Because in that case, it's not a gift, it's, it's just a reward. A gift is something that you are given or that you give someone and they've not done anything to earn it. It's just given out of love and out of goodness and uh, there is no earning in there at all. And so Jesus, to us, is a gift from the Father. Not something that we, He's not our reward. 
If, if we were being rewarded, we would get death. And that's some of what this passage describes. And it's describing uh, what's going on in Israel at the time. And there's just a lot of conforming to the patterns of the world that's been happening. And the hope that comes in is that a son is going to be given to them. Not that they have earned redemption, not that they have earned a Messiah, not that they have earned Jesus, but that a son will be given because our God, He's just good. He's just good. And so Jesus is a gift. And these descriptions that it goes into, it describes a part of why He's a gift. So in some senses, He's a gift because we didn't, we didn't deserve it. God just, in His goodness, just gave Him to us. But he's not just any Messiah. He's not just, he didn't just come in and get the job done and go back to heaven. He brings all this other stuff to the table. And so one of the things that's described, when you describe the gift that is Jesus, is that he's a wonderful counselor. Now I think if, if we take those two words and we think like Americans, then we think like wonderful is like, oh man, you know, this weather is wonderful. That gumbo is wonderful. You know, Jesus is wonderful. It's like, okay, no. Uh, that's not what's going on here. And so we, we can't really hear wonderful in the way that we tend to overuse wonderful. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Okay, all right, that's fine. Uh, that sense of wonderful and what is going on here in the Hebrew language are very different. Um, counselor is, uh, is like pretty, pretty accurate, though. Um, I was, like, I'm not, I'm not a scholar at all, but I do have books. And so um, I was looking in the book. And uh, when it described counselor, it said to advise, consult, uh, devise, strategize, conspire. Um, so it's not just counselor in the sense that you, um, he's not like a psychiatrist or someone like that, or if you go to see a Christian counselor or something like that. It's, there is some of that kind of counsel, but there's a lot more uh, strategy in, involved there. And uh, like one, one translation of the Bible, instead of wonderful counselor, it says magnificent strategist. And that's what's going on here, is, is, is the gift that God has given us, He is a strategist. He's an advisor, He's a counselor, He knows what He's doing, and He is there to guide along. So what does the wonderful part uh, have to do with it? Well, um, it has some of the stuff that you would think, like marvelous, surpassing, um, extraordinary, there's one, one part of the definition that I thought was, was amazing. It said, separate by distinguishing action. That he's separate from everybody else, you know, which we would talk about holiness. But he's separate because his, his action is distinguished. He's a wonderful counselor because his counsel, his advisement, his uh, strategy, his involvement, all that kind of stuff, he's in a completely different category. Like he's proven himself to be exceptional, uh, he's, just, he's separate from every other kind of counsel. So the people in your life that you know that are just phenomenal at uh, speaking truth to you and they just bring a lot of wisdom to the table and those kind of people, as great as they may be, Jesus, he's a com- in a completely different category. So he's a wonderful counselor in the sense there should be a lot of wonder of being like, how in the world is he doing this? So wonderful Counselor, um, the verse says that that's how he will be described. His name, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, and and it's Isaiah. You know, he's a prophet, and so in some ways he's he's kind of like speaking in a future sense, and so he's sort of saying like this is what people are going to say about this son that has been given to us. 
This is going to be his reputation. This is going to be, what, what, when, you, when you hear his name, this is going to be what's associated with his name. Is he's this strategist who's separate from everybody else because he's distinguished himself through his actions. So, so okay, so what, is, what does that mean? So go, to, go to the book of Hebrews. And uh, we'll go to, go to chapter 1. And what I wanted to do, as I was preparing this, I was about to just explode. If you've never read Hebrews, just go through it. Go slowly. Uh, it's, it's amazing. So I want to just read the first five chapters. Like, there he is. That's all you really need to know. But I don't know. I'm not going to do that. Chapter 1, I think, covers the wonderful part of Wonderful Counselor. It helps us understand why, uh, why he would be described this way. So Isaiah 9, that's the prophecy saying this, this child that will be given to us as a gift, this is going to be his reputation as Wonderful Counselor. So now we have on the other side of Jesus' life, the writer of Hebrews um, explaining exactly like where that comes from. Um, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. Okay, you catch that? Verse 2. Last days he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Alright? The heir of all things. So, um, that's Jesus' inheritance will be everything. So you look around this room, Jesus, he gets, he, it's all his. Look around the entire planet, it's all his. Even the things that can't be owned. Okay, the Grand Canyon, that's his. Okay, the Swiss Alps, his. You go outside, look at the stars, every one of them, his. He's the heir of all things. And then it says, through whom also he created the world. So Jesus is not just, he's not like a, like a Paris Hilton type, you know, who's like, she has all this inheritance, but she was just born into it, you know, like she didn't really earn it or whatever. Uh, Jesus is the heir of all things because He made all things. That's why He gets it all. Because He made it. So why does He get the Grand Canyon? Because He made the Grand Canyon. That's why. He gets it all because He made it all. Uh, Verse 3. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Okay. So that kind of goes into the why is He wonderful category. He's the exact imprint of God. He is God. Exactly. The exact radiance of His glory. So He's the heir of all things because He made all things. Because He's God. Uh, and, uh, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. He just keeps everything going just by saying it. So when He created everything, He just said, let there be light. And there's just light. Just, it just was. He didn't have to figure it out. He just, that's the kind of authority that he has. And so he's holding the whole world, the whole universe together. Everything's going like it is because he's God and he's the exact imprint, you know, the exact nature of God and he made it all and he's the heir of everything. Okay? 
Trying to get the idea of why he's wonderful? Okay, uh, let's see. Um, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay, so not only he does all that stuff, and he just like took care of, like, of sin, right? Just purified it. So what do I, what do I need to do to uh, purify, like, to like, make everyone righteous and for us to be connected? Just, I just have to die? That's it? Okay, dead. Purification of sins, taken care of. Then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. Above the angels, above creation, above you, above me, above everything, heir of all things, creator of all things, sustainer of all things, this, this is who Isaiah 6 was described. This is the gift. I'm sorry, Isaiah 9. This is the gift given to you and to me that we did not earn. And He, he is the gift. Like it's, it's Him. He just gave us Himself. His wonderful self. So the writer goes on, and there's, he kind of goes on, it's, it kind of has a sense of humor, and he's like, who, who did he tell the angels this? You know, did he say the angels all these great things? He's like, no. And he, so he's building this case to his audience about why Jesus is better than the angels and all that kind of stuff. We're just going gonna to skip that, that stuff. Uh, not that it's not good, but it's pretty tremendous. So you take all that stuff, and you say, why? okay, wonderful counselor, where does the wonderful part come from? That's four or five verses that can help us understand exactly who he is and why he has separated himself. And if, if you've been around church for a while, none of that stuff is like shockingly new. You're not like, I've never thought about that before. But I think that's one of the problems is that sometimes we just haven't thought about that enough. Like we lose the awe of who he is, the authority that's there, the power that's there, the goodness that's there. That we, we just, sometimes we just lose that. And so we get this, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season, and we amen that, and we, you know, we get frustrated when they say, you know, happy holidays, like, no, it's Merry Christmas, and we have all these, like, things that really aren't that important uh, that are going on, but at the same time, sometimes we, we just kind of just suck the meaning sometimes right out of things. And so we can't, we can't have baby Jesus in the manger, you know, all cute and perfect, and separate that from what we just read here. Like there, it's all the same. So we need the Lord to train us in how to think. Then when we think about Jesus, these are the things that we think about. We think about all that stuff that was just described. And so, wonderful counselor, that's the wonderful part. But let's look at the counselor part. Because, because I think that, that's, that sometimes we're missing out on... A part of the gift that's so beautiful. If you look at uh, look at chapter two, he spends some more time, um, more time talking about angels and different things. And he kind of gets back to the argument here. Look at verse five. Just, um, now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It's been testified somewhere. Then, so he goes and he quotes uh, one of the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 8. 
what, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. I love, I love this idea of, of not getting so arrogant that we, that we lose, lose that sense of awe that God would want anything to do with us. That's one of the beautiful things about Advent that we're able to, to be reminded of is that, is that here, here we are, I mean, sinners, deserving of death. And God gives us the gift of His Son. Why, why would He do that? It's such a beautiful passage. Like, who is man? Like, why would you be mindful of us? Why would you care for us? Why would you set up a situation where on the new earth we're going to be like higher than the angels? Right now we're a little lower than the angels. We'll be higher than the angels. We're going to rule the earth with Jesus when we deserve death. So the incarnation of Christ helps us, helps us stay present in that. You look at the end of that verse, verse 8. It says, putting everything in subjection under His feet. So then he kind of explains it. And verse 8 is crucial. It says, Now, in putting everything in subjection to Him, He left nothing outside His control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to Him. Okay, now, so we'll stop right there. Look, there's two big ideas that are going on here. One, um, now in putting everything in subjection to Him, He left nothing outside His control. So God puts everything in the control of, uh, of Jesus. Everything is under His feet. Everything is subject to Him. And, and everything means everything. We just, let's, just, let's just take the word everything and let's be literal with it. Everything is subjected to Jesus. Everything's under His feet. And so I think uh, there's a part of you that just kind of amens that. You're like, yeah, yeah. There's another part of you that says, yeah, but what about, what about war? <laughs> you know, what about famine? What about human trafficking? What about disease? What about violence? What about this and this and this and this and this and this and this? If everything is, is subjected to Christ, then why is there all this like, messed up stuff going on? So there's, there's a tension that's there. The tension in knowing everything has been put under His feet... Um, and so he kind of explains it. He says, at present, would you not yet see everything in subjection to him? So there's a, there's a tension there. At present, we don't, we don't see it all. We don't, um, it's not something that we experience yet. So there's a tension between the, the seen world and the unseen world. There's a tension between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. There's a tension between living in the present and living in the future. And so we kind of have to, to honestly just accept the fact that we don't really get this fully. We don't see it completely right now. And so we're rooted in the, in the fact that, the God, that Jesus controls everything. Everything is under His control. And at the same time, we recognize that, yeah, that hasn't been fully realized yet, you know. That there will come a day when that is like full and complete and just visible and there will be no doubt at all. But right now we kind of live in between those two advents, you know. 
we live in this place and, and, and we look at those things. And so we kind of have to be able to look at war and famine and violence and disease and all these, all these difficult things um, and have to say, okay, I know that all, everything is, sub- is like subject to Christ. Everything is under His feet. And at the same time, um, every, it, this is all being worked out. It's being worked through. And because there's that tension, we need a wonderful counselor. Because we don't really know how to deal with that tension. You know, we don't know how to deal with the fact that, that like, we believe that God can do anything, but yeah, there's all these things that are going on. And, and even just as you just step through life and how you can have super great couple of days and then you just get blindsided by something. You're like, what do, we, what do I do with that? Like, is this person just hurt me and so are they not subject to Christ? I mean, I believe they're subject to Christ. Verse 8 says they are. Verse 8 also says that at the present time we just can't see everything. So how do, I, how do I know how to deal with all that? How do I know how to deal with this tension? How do I know how to live between His first coming and His second coming in a way where I just don't completely go crazy? And, and how do I deal with the fact that a lot of times these things just don't make sense? That's why we need a wonderful counselor. That's why we need the Hebrews 1, Jesus, the gift to us that God has given we need that wonderful, wonderful gift to counsel us and how to make it through. And I love where this passage goes next. To verse 8 again. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him. But we see Him. And I wrote, I wrote that down in my notes and I just circled, circled the, the word Him. Like we don't see everything in subjection to Him, but we do see Him. We see the wonderful Counselor. And what is it that we see about Him? We see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, like us, namely Jesus, Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Why, why look at Jesus? Why place hope in Jesus? Why look to him? Why, does he, why is he such a wonderful counselor? Because he has suffered. Because he suffered. That's why he's such a wonderful counselor. Yes, because he is holy, and yes, because he was obedient, and yes, all those things, all those things are part of it. But here's the kicker is that he suffered. And that's what a lot of a lot of us I feel like I know I lose sight of it, and I think from talking to a lot of people, I think we just forget the fact that Jesus went through it all. He went through it. Let's look look, look at where this continues to go. Look at verse 10. For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. You're going to talk about a heavy verse? I don't want to read that again. It's just it's too good. For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, perfect through suffering. 
For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Don't, that's why he's not ashamed to call you his brother or sister. It's fitting that in bringing you to glory, that God would have him suffer. And in that suffering, there's a kinship that happens between Jesus, Jesus, and you. That he looks you in the eye and he says, we're brothers. We're, or we're brother, sister, we're siblings. We've been through it. We've been through it together. Verse 12, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Look at this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who, all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, this is huge. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Just let that text just rest on you for a second. Why is he wonderful counselor? Because he suffered. Because he willingly left heaven and came to earth. But he didn't have this cush life. He had it rough. It was difficult. That's why he's such a good counselor. Have you ever sat down with somebody and, and you start just opening up and you're sharing about some difficulty you're going through and they kind of, you, you kind of wrap up and you're like, I'm sure you probably think I'm crazy. And they're like, well, actually, went through something very similar. And they start to share their story, and there's a connection between you, because you're like, finally, someone who understands sort of just what I'm kind of feeling. There's a kinship there, there's a connection there, and you listen to them differently. Now think about Jesus being the one who you're pouring your heart out to, and he's like, he's like yeah, I know. I was there. And there's a part of all of us, I think, that wants to reject that and say, there's no way, there's no way. He's never been through the stuff I've been through. He lived hundreds of years ago. How could these things be the same? Well, they're the same. They're the same. If you look over chapter 4, there's a pretty familiar passage, 4.14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Okay, what? According to the Bible, he's been tempted in every way that we are. Now I understand we could probably sit around and be like, oh, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? There's no fruit in doing that. He was a 33-year-old man when he died. And so the root issues that all of us battle in temptation, he went through it. He experienced grief and loss. He was rejected. He was mocked. He was betrayed. I believe that he was, uh, he had to have dealt with um, temptation in every possible way. We see the temptation account where he's tempted. The devil comes at him and attacks his identity, attacks his, his pride and his ego, attacks him physically because he was fasting. I believe that Jesus has been through everything because I think that the Bible is telling us the truth. That he's been tempted in every way just as we are Yet, he's without sin. See, that's, that's the thing. Is like if you, when you sit down with someone, if you're like, ah, oh, this is what I'm struggling with, and they're like, yeah, I struggle with the same thing. And if you both um, manage to just mess up a lot, then that's a, it's, a, it's a good conversation because there's a connection there. But what you really want is you really want to sit down with somebody and say, and you want to say, this is how I'm struggling, and then this is, I keep failing, and I'm not really sure you know, what to do about it. And you want them to say, I've been tempted in the same way, but I made it through without sin, and let me kind of tell you like my perspective, maybe this will be helpful. That's what you really want. And so here's the Holy One of Israel. Here's Jesus Himself. We read about in Hebrews chapter 1, the gift that God has given us. He didn't have to, he didn't have to do this, but He said, and not only am I going to give Him to you as a gift, I'm going to provide you with wonderful counsel by the only one who's ever made it through without ever sinning in His entire existence on the earth. The only one. And so the last verse right there, it's in light of that, it says, Let us then, verse 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. I don't know if, if there's, a, there's a part of us that feels like, you know, like he's going like to yell at us or you know, that, that he's going to just drop the hammer or something like that. That... that that sort of thing is going to be good. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, because he's been through everything and was out without out sin, draw near to him confidently. He says the, the, notice he says, he doesn't say draw near to the throne of judgment. He says draw th- near to the throne of grace. That you may receive mercy and find help in your time of need. He said, this is painting this beautiful picture of this gift. But look at the next part. A lot of times, I I mean, I've always just kind of stopped there. My mind just is blown by those three verses every time I read them. But look look where it keeps going. Um, For every high priest chosen from among uh, men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And so this is talking about earthly priests. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. And that's what, what is what makes earthly ministry 
so effective is that you're, always, you're never going to sit down with someone who's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You're always sitting down with people who have their own struggles and their own issues, and it, it makes us potentially so good at caring for each other because we're all in the same boat. We can't make Jesus an exception to that. The writer of Hebrews is putting Jesus in that same category and saying, yeah, Jesus is like one of the gang in that sense, that he's been there. He just, he just, he just never, he never let it get to him. You know, he, never, he never sinned, but doesn't mean he wasn't face-to-face with that kind of temptation. Um, so verse 3, because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, talking about the earthly priests, just as he does for those, uh, the people. And no one takes his, this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Look at verse 7. In the days of his flesh... Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. What a, what a cool description of Jesus' life. Saying like, yeah, dude wept. He, he cried. He struggled. He battled through life. So he's been, he's been in that place where, where the, the emotions and the the struggles and the temptation and the battle that's going on are so overwhelming that he's just pouring his heart out to God. That's what makes him such a wonderful counselor is that he understands. And so when you're in that place and you're just baffled, you're like, I have no idea what to do. I don't know how to navigate my way through this. Whether it's a circumstance that you're facing or it's just that idea of like living in that tension or the big things of the world, whatever it might be, and you're sitting there and you just like, you have no idea what to do or what to say and you're just emotional and you aren't sure how to process any of it or whatever. And Jesus is not looking at you being like, like kind of like patting you on the head and like, I don't really know what's going on with you, but it'll be, it'll be okay. No, he's like, I have completely been where you are. Let me, let me step you through this. Let me be the magnificent strategist that helps you see how to get through. I was thinking about this uh, last night. It's, it's like a, you know, like you've seen like war movies and stuff when there's like a minefield, you know? And like soldiers, and they're crawling through, and they have like a knife or something, and they're like, I don't ever understand what they're doing. And I'm like, that's a little too close to a mine, you know? Like, let's lay on the ground and get as close as we can to it and poke it. You know, I don't really understand what they're doing, but I, I didn't go to boot camp, so I don't know. So, um, but it's like they're going through the minefield, and they know their mine's there, and they're like trying to figure it out, and they're all like spread out, and they're, you know, whatever. And if, if that's kind of what going through life is like sometimes, and I think that it is because. You just, you just have no idea what's going to happen. If you had the one who's like, hey, I know where all the mines are. Hey, I can show you where to step and where to not step. I'll tell you when to hurry up. I can tell you when to slow down. I can tell you when to stop and rest. 
can tell you when you need to like drink some more water. I can tell you I can tell you how to do this. I can tell you how to have those conversations. I can tell you how to think about this, how to feel about this. I can tell you when it's it's okay to cry, and I can tell you when it, it's time to just like pick yourself up. Okay, and I, I can can tell you when it's time to talk to this person or pray with this person or whatever. I can tell you all those things. I can tell you how to avoid the mines. Why in the world would would we not take advantage of this wonderful gift of a counselor and strategist that God has given? That the one described in Hebrews chapter 1 looks at your life. He says, this is the role that I want to play in your life. I want to be your counselor. And this is how how you do it. You just ask for my counsel. And you listen to what I have to say. And then you go do it. It's just that simple. Now, we're super awesome at complicating it. But it's as simple as that. And I, I know the objection. I know, the, uh, I know what it's like to sit there and to hear that and be like, that sounds really good, but I don't know how to hear God's voice. I know how to ask. Like, I'm really good at the asking part, but I'm not so good at the listening because I, I can't tell if it's him or if it's me. And then sometimes I think it is. It might be him. I mean, it's probably like 70% him, 30% me. When it comes to like, obeying that, what if I'm wrong? And what if this happens? And what if this and this and this? Uh, well, here's, here's the thing. You don't... You don't just automatically know how to do that, you know. It's not the matrix where like God just like downloads this ability to you to be able to like always like hear his voice and everything. This is something that we learn in community. This is something that like you learn to hear God's voice and understand his instruction. You learn to do that over time. And so if that's where you are, if you're like, okay, like I understand like Jesus is a gift. He's he's the wonderful counselor. That's the role that he wants and wants to play in my life. Um, I need to, but I need to get better at, at figuring out how to do this, then all you need to do is look around your life, find someone who's better at it than you are, and say, hey, I want you to sit down because I want, I want you to teach me what you've learned about prayer and listening and obeying. obeying. And you learn to do that. That's the rhythm of community that we live in. So don't, don't let the fact that you're frustrated by that or you don't know how to do that keep you from taking advantage of this gift. When you look back in chapter 4, you know, it says, he's, he's been through everything we have. He says, so then let's draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. That's all that praying is. You're drawing near to him and you're saying, look, I need your counsel. See, Jesus is a gift to you. He's a gift to me. God didn't have to give him to us and... Make him this wonderful strategist for our lives. But he, but he did. Why? Because he loves us. No parent wants to watch their kid stumble and struggle their way through life. And sometimes I understand you, you need to do that. I get that. But, but God looks at us and he's like, look, they're, they're going to need they're, this like, tension between the kingdoms and all that kind of stuff. They're not going to understand it fully. Um, so Jesus, you're going to be this wonderful, wonderful advisor for them. And so on our end, we just, we got to take advantage of this gift. Not take advantage in a, not in a bad way, in a great way. And I don't know why this, this idea of like prayerlessness has, has been thematic a little bit for us lately. I, I don't really know, but 
I think God is, is consistently trying to get us to, to understand His, His goodness. So that prayer is something we're just naturally drawn to because we understand that it's a throne of grace where we receive mercy and help in our time of need. And so I think that's the takeaway tonight is Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Will you let him be that for you? That's his desire. That's the design of the universe. Uh, So maybe it's time for some of us to stop acting like we know better. So let me pray for us. Lord, uh, to say thank you uh, seems kind of strange for such a, just an amazing gift. But Lord, we are grateful that, that you have not left us here to kind of just flounder and struggle on our own. But you have given us this beautiful gift of your Son, this personal lordship and uh, relationship that we do not deserve, but you have just lovingly handed to us. So Lord, help us. Help us to just really fully soak up the wonderful counsel of Jesus. Let's just spend a few minutes. You just just talk to the Lord for a second. We're going to stand and sing here in a minute. You just talk to Him.